Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for those Americans, Lord, who continue to proclaim that great truth that in you we trust. Father, as we open your word this morning, Father, I pray we might once again understand who you are, who your son is, and once again realize that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Lord, speak to our hearts now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, as we continue our series here in this tremendous letter to the church at Colossae, the Apostle Paul had written, and he wrote it from prison. But he's, he's writing at this point where we're going to pick it up, verses 15 through 18. Paul is now going to focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what his essence is. Again, behind all this, we must remember that there was that heresy creeping into the church. It wasn't full-blown Gnosticism yet, but it was a heresy that basically was saying that, well, Jesus uh, isn't really God. He, he, he's God's son, but wasn't truly, uh, he was created by God the Father. And it allowed, therefore, them to come in and begin to teach the worship of angels. And we have people today that worship angels all the time. And so, because of that heresy, Paul wanted to set forth uh, the truth concerning the supremacy and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. And this is perhaps the greatest passage of Scripture that we could find that defines who Jesus is. And if you want to take anybody who's who argues with you about who Jesus is, whether he's just a great teacher or whether he's truly God, God's son, take him to this passage. And so let's begin. Paul begins, verse 15. Paul writes, And he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of all creation. Now let's take the first statement that he makes there. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, if you have seen me, you've seen who? The father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And that, was, that is what Paul's trying to get across here concerning the Lord Jesus. And he says he is the image of the invisible God. Now, it's interesting that the Greek word for image there in your Bible, that's translated image uh, <clears throat> in the English, but the Greek word is icon. Icon. Does that ring a bell? Icon. We use that word 
all the time. He's an icon. When you think of somebody who is famous or, you know, people seem to worship him. But the word in the Greek literally was used to speak of the image of Caesar that was stamped or engraved on a coin. Okay? So that's how the Greeks used the word. That, 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 that when you ha- held up a coin, and uh, remember Jesus held up a coin, and so it said, whose image is on this coin? And everybody said, Caesar. And then he said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. And those, that image was as close to the real thing as they could get, the real person. And here, uh, this word is being used by uh, Paul concerning the Lord Jesus, but in a greater way. Because when he's speaking of image, icon, he's actually speaking of something exactly the same. An exact representation of someone else. Which means God, uh, God's son is an exact, uh, exact uh, picture or representative of God the Father, okay? I want you to kind of grasp this uh, because Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, which means, according to this, he is God. He, In other words, he has all the essence of God the Father. He's completely divine, has the same exact character qualities as God the Father. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. Let's go over to Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 3. As the writer of Hebrews begins this letter to the churches. Basically, he's saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul was saying, but in a different way. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 1. God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed, appointing Jesus, his son, heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Talking about Jesus, that through Jesus, God the Father made the world. In verse 3, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, of God the Father's glory. He's the radiance of his glory and exact representation of his nature. Do you see that? He is the exact representation of God the Father's nature and upholds all things by the power of his, I'm sorry, by the, he upholds all things by the word of his power, by the word of his power. What he, he's using basically the same Greek word, which is found only on a few occasions in the New Testament. But it's the same as that image that uh, Paul uses 
the Greek word for image, icon. The exact representation, but here he makes it even more clear. Jesus is an exact representation of, of God the Father. There's no question about it. As soon as we start uh, bringing Jesus Christ down from deity and we no longer consider him and you hear people will tell you when you talk to them, they will try and say, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. He had some good things to say and we should follow his example. But as to being God, no, I don't think so. How sad it is that people are being taught that Jesus is not divine. Turn back to Colossians chapter 1 then. Colossians 1, and let's look at the rest of 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul says, the firstborn of all creation. Look at that phrase, the firstborn of all creation. And here is where it got complicated with people over the centuries because of the translation in English. If you read that and you're thinking literally of a firstborn, you think of, well, little Theodore. Little Theodore is Nick and Kirsten's firstborn. So you think of a physical birth. That's the way we think of it when we hear that, that term. But here, He's not using it concerning physical birth, even though Jesus did have a physical birth. But he's saying the firstborn of all creation, and we're going to explain that here. Let me just first tell you that what the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, how they interpret this. And others have interpreted Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. There was a man named Arius, a philosopher, back in around 300 A.D. And he took this verse and basically he ran with it and said, well, according to the Bible, then Jesus is, was the first creation of God the Father. That since he was called the firstborn, God the Father created Jesus. He was the first one. Then after that, you know, all the rest of creation occurred through Jesus. But he, Jesus was, was basically created. Once they started to say that, that's when the heresy began. Because now Jesus is a created being. How could he be divine? He can't be all man and all God. And Jehovah's Witness, they took... Uh, uh, they took uh, Arius's uh, thinking and philosophy and false teaching, and they built their own Bible around it. So they took out what they wanted to, to make the Bible say what they thought it should say. And so the Jehovah's Witness, when they saw that firstborn, they actually began to replace it and say that, well, this is the, the physical, physically he was created first. He was the first one 
to be created by God, firstborn, and they ran with it. And they began to make sure that anything that associated Jesus with being divine was changed in their Bible, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. But firstborn, now I want you to understand what this term here in the Greek literally means. It has the meaning of first in rank. First in rank or first in position. And as you recall back in the Old Testament, uh, the firstborn pretty much was given the rights from the father uh, over all the rest of the brothers and sisters. The, they basically, the firstborn had the preeminence. He had what you might say, he, could, he had first place in the family. That's the way they looked at the firstborn. And so this, that's what this idea is. When, when the, the, the phrase firstborn is used, I want you to understand that it's not talking about a physical birth, but it's talking about Jesus ranking in the universe. That he is higher above everything else and everything that was ever created. But it doesn't speak of his being created and, be, and therefore not being divine. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 89. If you go to Psalm 89 with me, we see how it is used here. Psalm 89 verse 27. And here is a prophetic psalm, prophetic psalm that <clears throat> speaks of the Davidic covenant. But here's God speaking, verse 27, concerning the Messiah. And of course, we know Jesus is the Messiah. I also shall make him the Messiah to come which would be Jesus Christ, I shall make him, what? My firstborn. There it is. The highest of the kings of the earth. And when Jesus is coming again, he is going to set up his kingdom. He is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And then he talks about uh, his, the covenant he makes with him. My loving kindness, verse 28, I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed to him. And I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. Now, he's also talking about David here as well. But Jesus, the Messiah, is considered in verse 27, the the firstborn here, that title is used again, is the highest. He's going to be the king above all kings. And so understand this, what Paul's trying to say. So if you go back with me quickly to Colossians 1, again, and let's look at verse 16 together. Paul goes on concerning the Lord Jesus. Not only is he the invisible image of God, God in the flesh, and has first place of all creation, firstborn, verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things have been created by him and what? For him. We tend to forget that part. For him. Everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. God the Father gave over his son the authority to go create. And so it was Jesus Christ himself who created the heavens and the earth. Everything that's visible and invisible we see here. So now he is really getting Jesus defined as God. Who else could create the world? God, right? So if Jesus is the one, according to what Paul's writing, Jesus did the creation. And of course, when we read the scriptures in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes this will kind of make our minds spin, but you could actually put in there, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, according to this passage. That God the Father said, Son, go make something for yourself. And so Jesus went out and he, he created everything, all the angels and all the, the stars and the universe and every part of it. And, and what we see here on earth, all the planets and you and me, he created it all. And he created it and he created it, it was created by him and it was for him. God the Father said, whatever you create, that is, I want that to be yours, something special to, for my son. And think of that, that you were created by God, by the Lord Jesus, for a purpose. That you were created for him and him alone. And therefore, for all of eternity, if you are a believer today, you will uh, bring joy and pleasure for, to Jesus Christ forever and ever on earth when he comes back. And then for all of eternity, we will reign with him. Why does Jesus, did Jesus save, come to save the world? Because he wanted mankind to be redeemed and so that th th we might be like who? Him. What did Paul say? Romans 8, 29. For we are being conformed to what? The image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. That is what is happening in you and I as we allow Jesus to have control of my mind, my body, and I'm filled with his spirit and I'm becoming more like Jesus. And that's so exciting when you see someone and, and you, you, re, you look at them and you think, well, that's something Jesus would do. That's something I could see Jesus doing. They're seeing Jesus be manifested in you and your body. John 1, 3, we won't take time to turn to it, but John wrote, All things came into being through him, Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Saying the same thing Paul's saying, Jesus did the creating. Have you ever stood in awe of God's created handiwork? 
God's creation, and we might say of Jesus' creation, you stand at the ocean and you look out and you go, how did he do that? Anything ever just boggle your mind, kids? Like you look and go, how did God really do such a thing and create such a thing? And yet he was behind it all. Jesus was behind it all. I, I kind of want to demonstrate this this morning. And so um, I'm going to get a volunteer up here. And now everybody's shrinking away, hiding behind the pew. But um, let me see. Who would help me out? I'm going to go with, uh, all right, off there. Okay. Hey, one of you guys want to help me? Which one now? Both of you. Okay, well, why don't you both come up then? We'll do it. We'll, we'll have both of you help me. Yeah, come on up. All right. Thank you. All right. Now, if we could have the red mic on, that would be great. Okay, come on, here, boys. The Hartman boys. You don't have to stand in line. Here, we'll turn so you can face everybody that way, okay? Here, you stand up here a little bit. Okay, tell everybody your name. Beckett. Beckett. Sawyer. This is Beckett and Sawyer. Can you tell them apart? It's hard. But these are these wonderful boys, and they're going to help me. Beckett and Sawyer are going to help. Okay, so, Beckett and Sawyer, I brought a picture with me that we're going to show everybody, all right? And you're going to hold it up for me, okay? And just hold, st stand still and hold the picture, okay? And we're going to see if, uh, if everybody agrees with what they see in the picture, okay? All right, so, all right. I have a picture of a tree. God created the trees, of course. And so I want you to look at this. Now I want you to hold this up. So you hold one end and you hold this end. So you can stand on the side so people can see your face. They peek around. That's good. That's good. All right. Hold it right there. Okay, folks, take a look at that tree. All right. So, uh, over here on this side, I'm going to ask all of you, and you just sh uh, say it out loud, what you see. What color is the tree to you over here? It's green. Okay. What? What? White. Green and white? You sure you're not colorblind? Okay, no. They, they see white. Okay, folks over here, what do you see? What color? I, I'm confused. Um, we're trying to get the right color here. So say it again. What do you see? Gold. Green. Orange. Something's up. Kids, what do you think? What, what color is it to you? Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. What, what color do you see? Orange and green. What do you see? Orange, white, and green. You see? 
What it, is it? Oh my goodness. See, now, do you think this just happened? That, that you know, this picture just like appeared? Nobody made it? Nobody would, would have made such a thing. Could, could this have just, just happened like, just like the world would have just exploded into space and suddenly we have the world and everything in it and, and it just, no. There was an artist, kids, that made this painting. But what's amazing is, is that he made it so you can see three different colors. So you see spring, summer, and fall, and winter. It's all the seasons are there. Do you see the change? Isn't that cool? And, and we go, how did the guy who made this painting do that? And we go, even greater, how did somebody create all this that we live in, the world and the universe? Yet there's one person that could do it, only God, right? Give them a hand. Didn't they do a great job? Thank you. You may be seated, guys. You did fantastic. You know, I saw this, and it, it just boggled my mind that there was a, someone who had the creative ability to make such a thing. But that then makes me think, look if God made, gave man the creative ability to do things like that and other great things, think of his power to create and the power of Jesus Christ to create. And you know what the greatest creation that Jesus ever made? It's you, your heart, your transformed heart, my transformed heart. When he made you and I, when we put our faith and trust in him who died on that cross for our sins. And I said, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God who died for my sins. Come into my heart and wash my sins away. Forgive me. I receive you as my savior. When I be, suddenly became a child of God at that moment. What does the Bible say? I have become a new creation. All things pass away and all things have become new you are a new creation and god made you new on the inside he took the dying soul that you were and he cleansed you and made you into a new creation that is just like him an image of him how beautiful it is let's wrap this up by looking at our uh, the rest of our verses here then we see that all things were created by him both visible and invisible. And then we come to verse 17 and 18. Let's look at this together. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's talking about creation. Jesus is before all things, which means above all things. Everything's under him. And in him, all things hold together. He holds everything together. Now, I have mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. And uh, 
because it's, it's that part of science that has scientists mystified. They can't explain it. They talk about the Big Bang Theory, then no, there was, there's no creator, there's no God. But yet, there's something called laminin, and I've mentioned this to you before. Laminin. What is laminin? Well, laminin is the name for a family of proteins that is extracellular matrix. You know what matrix is? A mix of something. Uh, a mix which binds to each other. They connect to each other as well as other things and holds all organic things together. That's what laminin is. It's uh, a molecule that, a, a, a protein that holds all things together. So it holds molecules and, and everything and cells together. So in other words, there's something that's keeping you from blasting all over the universe and keeping your body, everything together in your body. It is this, laminin. And this is... There, there is a, a drawing of laminin that they use for scientific purposes. Why? Well, I, because I, I printed out a picture of real laminin, okay? So I've got a microscopic picture to show you and see if you can see it in there. What does that look like? A cross. Laminin, laminin is shaped, every single one of them is shaped like a cross. You can Google it, look it up yourselves. It is unbelievable that, that Jesus Christ, when he created you and was going to hold you together, says he holds all things together. He chose to make this molecule, this protein called laminin. And what was he going to do? He was going to make it in the shape of a cross. And not until, you know, the past century has scientists known what this is and found it. It's the glue that holds all things together. And you and I, have been held together, and that reminds me, as laminin is shaped like a cross, it is the cross that holds us together as the body of Christ. Through the Lord Jesus, you and I are members of what, what Paul called the body of Christ. Look at verse 18 again. Paul then says, not only is he the head of all creation, but he also is the head of the body, the church, you and I. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, he was the first one to ever be resurrected from the dead. So that's why, again, the term firstborn. He has preeminence over all others because he rose from the dead. And But it says here, he also is the head of the body. <clears throat> if you didn't remove your head, your body wouldn't be worth very much, would it? No. So it is with the body of Christ. We must always remember that Jesus Christ is the head 
of the church. And if he's the head of the church, that means, and that means, that word head means authority. He has authority over it. And he, he controls it, just like our, our heads, our minds control our body. Jesus has control of it. Question then, if Jesus is the head of the body, which means he's the head of me when I'm saved and I put my faith and trust in him, should not Jesus have first place in my life? Can I honestly say, that, Lord, I have made you first in my life. Now, we as Christians, we accept Christ as Savior. But then it's so easy to begin our Christian walk, our journey, and we still have the old nature in us. And that old nature wants to run me. He wants to control me and cause me to do things that displease God or I want I still want to be the old nature makes me want to be my own boss still you know what I mean and 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 call all the shots but all the while Jesus Christ intended when we were saved to make sure that we allow him to be Lord of our life Lord of my life which means everything I do think and say, I should consider him first and want to please him first and find out what God's will is first before I do anything else. How crucial it is. Look what Paul said here then at the end of 18. He said, all this was done so that he himself, Jesus, might come to have First place in what? Everything. In everything. If you have a King James Version, it says that he might have the preeminence. Is Jesus number one in my life, Christian? As I get up every morning, do I seek him first? When I make decisions about what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, and any kind of matter, anything that matters in my life, do I go to him and say, you are the Lord of my life, Lord Jesus. And if he become, and, and by the way, when we are saved, that very moment he becomes our Lord. You see, when I'm saved, I don't make him, I have to, well, he's my savior, but now I have to make him Lord. No, when I trust Jesus, he was and is my Lord and Savior. So whether or not my this old body decides to do what it wants and pushes Jesus in the background and he's not first in my life, he still is my Lord, my Lord and Savior. It will always be that way. He will be my Lord. But I have to choose to live my life in such a way that people around me will know that Jesus comes first in my life. And that means to let my family know that Jesus comes first. And that he might have the preeminence. And dear Christian, we're, we're going to leave here. and We're going to go out this week. 
and go through the same routines, same things. And if I've been living selfishly and I have not allowed Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart and rule and reign in me, you know, we sing that song, Lord, reign in me. If I don't allow him to do that, you know what is going to happen when I see him face to face? I'm going to feel ashamed because there will be many rewards that I could have had that he would have given me had I just put him first in my life. And that's what it's all about. Would you look into your heart today and see if Jesus is reigning and has every access to every door in your heart that you've given him everything and says, Lord, I'm yours. And you see, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Right? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul said, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your bodies a living sacrifice. There is the lordship of Christ, allowing him the position in my life. That I, and notice that Paul is urging the believer to make that choice and to say, Lord, I'm presenting to you my, my body, my living body. I give it to you, surrender it to you. And that's called dedicating your life to the Lord. You know, there were those times where people have been saved, but later on in life, they felt a call. They came to a place in their life, whether maybe in their teen years or a little older. Look at the number of missionaries, if you read their stories, of how many had a, there was a point where they says, Jesus, you are going to be Lord of my life, which means, Lord, anywhere, Anytime, anything, anywhere, anytime, anything, I'm yours. And when the person made that commitment, they ended up on the mission field, many of them dying out on the mission field. Why? Because they made that choice. They said, Jesus is going to have first place in my life, in, in, in my future, whatever it is. Lord Jesus, you be number one. Let us seek to do that, dear Christian. Let's pray together. As we bow this morning before the Lord, dear Christian, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if as you look into your own life, perhaps you see areas in your life that Jesus does not have first place. Would you Give him that first place now and present your body a living sacrifice to him and say, Lord, forgive me for my selfishness. I'm ready to surrender my all to you anywhere, anytime, anything. Make that decision, Christian, this morning and see what God will do with your life and the joy you will live with and the freedom you'll live with because you, you'll know that you are in the center of God's will. He's going to use you in a mighty way.
If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, would you now, right this morning, just call upon his name. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. Pray a simple prayer like this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, my dear friend, you are now a child of God. You've been born again spiritually. And now Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And now you can begin to walk in obedience to his word and allow him to be king of your life. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking this day once again. And I pray, Lord, that we might heed thy word. And we might live in such a way that the world may see that you have first place in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.